The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Well, my wife and I have been anxiously and eagerly awaiting the new James Bond movie. And uh, we are big Bond fans. It was originally supposed to come out in November of 2019, believe it or not. And uh, then it was postponed for some reason until February of 2020. And then to April of 2020, after one of the producers departed from the movie, that was a big mistake there, uh, because then came the pandemic, and as the, we got into the pandemic, they announced, hey, okay, it's not going to come out now until November of 2020. Uh, of course, things weren't globally better yet, and it was announced that they'd release it instead um, again in April of 2021, and if you have your calendars with you, you know that I'm still disappointed. Now It is now September, and it's still waiting. Um, it got postponed again until October when, Lord willing, uh, Megan and I will finally be able to see, once again, Daniel Craig in full-on spy mode, uh, working for MI6 and taking down the bad guys, right? But one of the things that we've, we have loved about the James Bond movies, especially the, the newer ones, um, is the opening scene, right? It is always just <clears throat> jam-packed with all kinds of crazy action, you know? Um, I mean, you, you don't want to miss that opening scene. You want to have your popcorn ready. You don't want to be caught in the concession stand when this thing is, is start, starting up because there is so much that is packed into the beginning. Well, the first seven verses of Romans is very similar. There's so much packed in here, and you don't, you don't want to miss it. And I'm so glad that you're here. You know, uh, there's no delays, there's no postponing. Today, we're digging into Romans, and it starts with this jam-packed intro where we're going to see, number one, who Paul is. Okay, the the author of this letter. And and not just historically, but uh, who does he describe himself to be? How does he describe himself? Which I hope will challenge you to think about who you describe yourself to be. Uh, Number two, Paul's going to tell us what the gospel is all about. And number three, what the gospel is for, and lastly, what the gospel has done, particularly for you if you're already a Christian, um, or what it can do. If, if you're not. Now, Romans, of course, is written by Paul. Uh, Paul, if you're familiar with his story, used to be Saul. He was a Jewish man. He was a Pharisee of, of Pharisees and an early persecutor of Christians, actually. And that all changed one day on the Damascus Road. Uh, Luke recounts it for us this way in Acts chapter 9, saying, Acts chapter 9, verse 1, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, that's the guy that we're dealing with, right? The man who breathed threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that is Christians, Men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. In Damascus, Paul meets a man named Ananias. 
um, who the Lord spoke about uh, to Saul. And in Acts 9, verse 17, Ananias lays his hands on Saul and, and, and says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me to you that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized. All right, This Saul becomes Paul. He becomes a beast of a church planter, planting and strengthening churches all over the place, right? But the, the history of, of Paul isn't so much what I'm interested in uh, for us this morning, so much as who he describes himself to be in the opening address to the Romans. T- turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 1, if you're not open there, where we read chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. There's three things here that Paul tells us about himself. Number one, he is a servant of Christ Jesus. A servant. The, the, the word here is, is literally slave. Right? At the time when Paul wrote this, there was an estimated 60 million slaves throughout the Roman Empire. He's using language that the Romans would have been very familiar with. It's, a, it's imagery right? that, that he would have, they, they would have extremely resonated with. A slave. And anything we know about slaves, even from our nation's horrible history with it, is that there's a master, isn't there? Who does Paul say his master is? It's not some power-hungry, oppressive Roman person of privilege. No, it's Christ Jesus. That's his master. Paul, you, you see, is a man who sees himself as under authority. He, he was yoked, not not in an oppressive way, in a joyous way. Paul's entire life and being revolved around Jesus Christ. So much so that he can't describe himself apart from Jesus. He's a joyful servant of Jesus. Living in joyful submission to Jesus. This is Paul saying, you know, what I'm about to write, it really isn't about me. It's all about Jesus Paul is humbling himself here before the Romans and and before God. I'm just a servant, he says. That's central to my identity. The second thing that Paul tells us about himself is that he has been called to be an apostle. That's what was happening in in Acts chapter 9. God sought him out on the Damascus road. He he called Paul. Paul wasn't looking for God. (laughs) He was looking for Christians to murder. (laughs) No, God went looking for Paul and... God always gets his man. He called him. He called him to himself, and he called him to be an apostle. That word means a sent one. This this wasn't a job that that Paul applied for and then lucked out on. God called him to be an apostle. To be an apostle in this sense, in the New Testament, a, a capital A apostle, we might say, two things had to be true of you. You had to have witnessed the resurrection, like literally encountered the risen Christ like Paul did on the Damascus Road. And, and you had to have been sent out by Jesus himself to preach with authority, commissioned. Paul was commissioned by Jesus. This is extremely important to understand uh, this past summer, I was at one of my daughter's track meets, and uh, there was a couple sitting in front of me talking about 
news headlines and politics and, and a whole range of stuff and how it kind of related to Christianity, kind of. And, and how so-and-so had quoted Paul, but who was Paul? Who was Paul? Uh, Paul was just a man, they said. You, you, can't, you can't trust the words of Paul. Uh, Paul's no different than you and me, that's what they said. And what you need, they concluded, is to read Jesus' words. Just Jesus. Have you heard this? It's, it's not new. This, this is not a new phenomenon. This is an argument as old as Paul himself. It's why he's always at odds in his letters talking about his apostleship. Um, it's an argument as old as Paul himself, but it misses something really, really important. Paul never saw himself as a man with his own message. No, he carried the message of Jesus. And an apostle, you see, was a chosen and sent one, not someone promoting their own agenda, but Jesus' agenda. An apostle was someone, with, was, was someone with delegated authority from Christ himself. That's only Paul, some would say today. I only listen to Jesus. But to say that is to contradict themselves because it was Jesus himself who gave authority to Paul to begin with. Again, if we turn back to Acts, which Luke authored, not Paul. Luke, writing of Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 26, records Jesus saying to Paul, But rise and stand upon your feet, Paul. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. They may, they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That right there is Jesus' commissioning of Paul. Okay, so if someone says to you, I don't listen to Paul, I listen to Jesus, take them right here to Acts chapter 26 and ask them if they're still listening to Jesus. Jesus says, I'm sending Paul. Why? To open your eyes. That's why. I'm sending Paul. Why? So you will turn from darkness to light. That's why. I'm sending Paul. Why? That you would turn from the power of Satan to God. I'm sending Paul to tell you all about me so that you may receive forgiveness of your sins and be saved. Paul, as an apostle, has the authority of God. When he writes the letter to the Romans and the other letters he wrote, he is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He writes with authority. Not an authority of his own. He's a slave to Christ. No, the authority he writes with, the, the authority that the book of Romans comes to us with is none other than the authority of God. Peter, another apostle in 2 Peter 3.16, he refers to Paul's writing of Scripture. And he calls it Scripture with as much weight and authority as the other Scriptures, the Torah, the prophets, the wisdom literature, the gospel, the letters. What we have here, friends, is the Word of God. May we never forget that. Paul was not a mere man. He was a servant of Christ Jesus, yes, just like you and I, but he was also called to be an apostle. And then thirdly, look at verse 1 again. He was set apart for the gospel. We've seen this already in Acts chapter 26, but just to drive it home, everything about Paul is about the gospel. 
Right? His life is all about the gospel. To be set apart means separated, separated from everything else that the world that, that is in the world that would detract him from this. And yeah, he would travel and eat and make tents and spend time with friends, but in it all is the gospel. His life is all about the gospel. I mean, isn't it? This is just the first verse. It's packed. Right, and already we see Paul telling us something about his identity, telling us something about his vocation, and telling us something about his purpose in life. He's a servant of Christ. That's his identity. Called to be an apostle. That's his vocation. Set apart for the gospel. That's his purpose. This is how he describes himself. How do you describe yourself? Now, vocationally, you're not an apostle, not, an, not a capital A apostle at the very least, but you, you too have a vocation. You know, if, if you're a Christian, you too have been called to be a servant of Christ and have been set apart for the gospel. You are under authority. You are to be a joyful servant of Jesus, living in joyful submission to Jesus and set apart for the work of the gospel, wherever your vocation may take you. Do you see yourself this way? You know, do, do you see yourself as Doug, you know, a, a servant of Christ, uh, called, among other things, to be a, a wife and a father and a grandfather, an electrician, and set apart for the work of the gospel? Or Anne, <laughs> a servant of Christ, called, among other things, to be a wife and a, and a mother and a software engineer, and set apart for the work of the gospel. Some of you would say, well, I really don't know what my vocation is or what I'm really supposed to do with my life. Listen, (laughs) vocation here really isn't the point. (laughs) What matters most is your identity and purpose. If you're a Christian, you are a servant of Christ Jesus. No matter what you do or don't do professionally, that's true of you. And whether you're working your dream job or your dreaded job, whether you don't have a job, you, my friend, have been set apart for the gospel of God. Your life, like Paul's, is to be all about it. And if that's true, let's make sure that we know what it is all about. Paul tells us here, he tells us what the gospel is all about. And before we go further, we just want to make sure that we're comfortable with that word gospel. All right, we never want to assume the gospel. That makes bad things out of you and me. You know, we don't want to assume the gospel or an understanding of the gospel. We want to be explicit about the gospel. And so what is it? Well, first and foremost, the thing to realize is that that word gospel, it means good news. And not just news like you or I think about news. Um, we kind of take or leave the news, you know. Uh, we read it till we can't stand it anymore, and then we put our phone away and do something else for a while. The gospel isn't that kind of news, Okay. Uh, In the first century, if an emperor had won a victory, uh, securing peace and establishing his authority in a foreign land, maybe maybe he was being attacked or maybe he was on the offensive, however it went down, right? He he was securing peace and establishing authority. When when that happened, he didn't post about it to Twitter to let the empire know. Uh, Instead, he would send heralds, heralds. And these heralds, what they would do is they would go and declare victory throughout the entire empire. They would go and declare peace and authority. And it was news that impacted everyone everywhere. 
But their enemies have been defeated. They, they were secure. They could, go to, they could put their head on their pillow at night now and not worry about enemy attack. They could rest and live at peace. And when we talk about the gospel, that's what we mean. It's a declaration. It is a declaration of a king, King Jesus, who has come and who has secured peace and established his authority in the foreign land called here. It's a report of real events. The gospel is. It's not fake news. It's a declaration of real events that happened in real time, in real space, amongst real people, real witnesses. Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and this is news that was to impact everyone everywhere. And if we look at our text, we see several things that Paul tells us about this gospel, about this good news. We see at the end of verse 1, for starters, that it is the gospel of God. It is the good news of God. Paul didn't invent this, okay? In fact, in his letter to the Galatians, in Galatians 1, 11 through 12, he says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me, uh, I'm sorry, was preached by me, is not man's gospel. I didn't make it up, Paul says. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. No one else made it up and gave it to me either. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ himself. What we have in Romans is not the gospel of Paul, it's not the gospel of man or evangelicalism or the gospel of Todd or the gospel of Two Pillars Church. It is the gospel of God. The second thing that Paul tells us about this gospel is that it isn't new. <laughs> in fact, it has been promised beforehand through the prophets and the holy scriptures. And we just finished a we just finished 13 weeks in the Minor Prophets, and at multiple points during that series, we looked ahead, didn't we? We looked beyond the, the immediate fulfillment of some of what the prophets in the Old Testament prophesied. We looked ahead to a, a fuller fulfillment when Christ would come. And Paul says here, Christ has come. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news about Jesus, fulfills all that was promised beforehand by the prophets. That he would be born in Bethlehem. He'd be pierced for our transgressions and so on. Which leads us to a third thing that Paul tells us about the gospel. That the gospel isn't really about a what, but a who. Verse 3. This gospel is concerning God's son. Who was descended from David according to the flesh. All right, He was fully man. And the fulfillment of the Davidic king. The final and the fullest son of David. And he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. He wasn't just fully man. He was also fully God. He also resurrected from the dead. Implying here that Jesus died. He died in our place for our sins as, as we shall see in the book of Romans. But he rose from the grave. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And now he reigns over everything, everywhere as who? Lord. Lord. This is what the gospel is all about. It's all about Jesus. It's the good news, the true and good news about Jesus. That he came for you. He came for you. 
This is the the gospel of God. It's been his plan from the beginning. It was promised beforehand. God sent his son, fully God, fully man, to live and die and rise for you. And when the reality of that news sinks in for you, you desire to submit your entire life to him as your Lord. Which is in large part what the gospel is for. What is the gospel for? It's kind of a funny way to ask the question, isn't it? We might say that the gospel is for salvation. The gospel is for us. That that we might turn from sin and trust in Jesus and be saved from from eternal wrath. All those things would be true, but let's, let's look and see how Paul puts it here in his introduction. He says midway there through verse 5 that through Jesus, he has received grace and apostleship. Why? What for? To bring about the obedience of faith. Now, if you thought the intro was, was jam-packed, these two words are even more jam-packed in and of themselves. Obedience and faith. Paul is going to have a lot to say about both of these throughout the letter. But what's he saying here? Is he saying that, that he was sent by Jesus to proclaim the gospel in order to bring about the obedience that comes from faith? As if obedience is the ultimate goal here. Is that what he's after, obedience? Does Paul just want you to obey? He doesn't exactly say that, does he? He's not preaching a sort of two-stage conversion where faith comes first and then eventually obedience follows. Faith and obedience are never to be held that far apart in the Scriptures. And so then we might ask, is he saying he was sent by Jesus to proclaim the gospel in order to produce the obedience that is Faith, reducing obedience down essentially to faith, that, that all that really matters is faith. He doesn't exactly say that either, does he? he he's not preaching a, a collapsing of faith and obedience to where obedience really doesn't matter so long as you have faith. That's not what he's preaching. No, Paul says that he was sent by Jesus as an apostle to bring about the obedience of faith. We must not pull the two too far apart, and we must not collapse them together. One commentator says it this way. He says, we must avoid two theological extremes, separating faith from obedience in such a way that we can have one without the other, like you can have faith and not obey, or identifying them in such a way that obedience is minimized. The best alternative, then, is to interpret the words in the phrase as mutually interpreting. Faith if genuine, always has obedience as its outcome. Obedience, if it is to please God, must always be accompanied by faith. They're two sides of the same coin, faith and obedience. When we come to faith in Christ, we come to the one who who demands our total allegiance. He's Lord. He's Master. Remember, we are His servants. And this allegiance, to be sure, is something that we we learn to to live out. It's something that we progressively grow into, never perfectly, but progressively. We should be able to see progress in our Christian life of obedience. But, But never do we obey without believing. Faith is always essential to any and all true obedience. True obedience. I mean, sure, you can go through the motions and look the part. You can outwardly conform to the so-called demands of what you think it means to be a Christian. Some of you might be doing that here today, just going through the motions. 
posing as a Christian, but without the inward commitment of the heart, without faith, that kind of obedience is really not true obedience at all. You're a poser. What is the gospel for? It is for bringing about the obedience of faith, the coin, both sides. Now, switch up the metaphor because I want you to see these two little jam-packed words here. I want you to see them explode, actually. There's fireworks in in verse 5. Fireworks here. Not like black cats or M80s, you know, just the ones that go bang. Paul's not not just dropping bombs here. I'm talking about the the multi-explosion ones, the, the really, really good artillery shells. You know what I'm talking about? The, the, the ones that go off, you know, bang like that. And, but, but then, there's, you know, it's a beautiful explosion, but it's not just one explosion. That one explosion turns into some more pop, pop, you know. And then, if it's a really good one, way out of my price range, right, they pop again. Poop, poom. And just this beautiful explosion, successive explosions. That's what Paul does here in verse 5. The first explosion is him telling us that the gospel is for bringing about the obedience of faith. That's the first one, right? But it doesn't stop there. Look at this. That, that, that obedience of faith, second explosion, is for the sake of his name. We, we might say, for the glory of God. The, the gospel is not ultimately about you. See, it's ultimately about him. It's about God's glory. And then third explosion. It's for the sake of his name, among the nations among the nations. That third explosion ought to ring memories of, of Genesis 12 in your mind and God's far back promise to Abraham that through his offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. It, it ought to ring memories of Jesus giving the great commission in, in Matthew 28 to, to go therefore and make disciples where? Of all nations. Why? For the sake of his name. That's why. For the glory of God. That's why. That, that the earth, to, to quote Habakkuk 2, would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's why. This is what the gospel is for. To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. And from this beautiful firework display of what the gospel is for, Paul transitions beautifully from the nations to you. And he tells us what the gospel has done. Remember, he's writing to Christians. Right? He's writing to, to those whom the gospel is already true for. He hasn't met these people, but he knows that they're Christians. Most likely, the church in Rome was started by those who had traveled to Jerusalem and were there at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and and were saved. And then they returned home with this gospel, sharing it with others, and a church was born. Verse 8, we'll see next week, tells us that their faith was being proclaimed in all the world. Word got back to Paul somehow that there were Christians living in Rome. And he's writing to them to encourage them. To further establish them, he says. And that's exactly what he does here at the end of his intro where he reminds them of what the gospel has already done. What it's already done. I mean, he's got a lot to say to them, and he's going to say it. But he wants them to know, first and foremost, what the gospel has already done. If you're a Christian, these truths are already true of you. 
They are intended to encourage you and further establish you as a servant of Christ Jesus, called to do whatever it is he's called you to do, and as one set apart for the gospel. If you're not a Christian, these truths can be true of you. All that is required is faith in Jesus. What's the first thing that Paul says is true of you because of the gospel? Number one, he says, you belong to Jesus Christ. You belong to him. Listen to me, let this good news be an encouragement to you this morning, Christians. You belong to Jesus. The creator and sustainer of all things, that Jesus Right, the high and, and holy one, the, the Messiah, the long-expected one, that Jesus, you belong to him. The radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his name, the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power, that Jesus, you belong to him. The great shepherd, the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, you belong to him, which means you're not alone no matter how lonely you feel. You're not abandoned no matter how many times people have abandoned you. You're not an outcast or unwanted no matter how outcast or unwanted others have made you feel or no matter how much you've grown convinced of it yourself. You're not in danger. You belong to Jesus Christ. And notice there the word called. Call, I checked. It's the same word in the Greek as the word for called up there in verse 1 where Paul says that he's been called to be an apostle. Remember, he didn't apply for the job. God pursued him. He, he recruited and signed Paul, not the other way around. And the same is true for how you came to belong to Jesus. You were called. Divinely appointed. That's what the word means. In, in other words, you don't just belong to Jesus like he bought a whole bunch of us with his blood and you somehow got thrown in for a, you know, a two for one or something like that. You were wanted. You belong to him. The second thing Paul tells us that is true of you because of the gospel is that you are loved by God. He loves you. I mean, when you think about this, God is crazy about you. You say, well, how crazy? Well, crazy enough to send his only son to die in your place to secure you in relationship with him. That's how crazy. You are loved by God. Listen, this is... God's word here, it's not my word. This isn't empty, you know, encouragement or nice-feeling words for you this morning. This is the word of God. If you trust in Jesus, you are loved by God. And so no matter how unlovely you feel today, no matter how unlovable you've convinced yourself that you are when you could barely get yourself to look in the mirror this morning, God's word right here, Romans 1, verse 7, says to you, you are loved by God. So loved by God, in fact, that when he looks upon you, he's got a name for you. 
He calls you a saint. A saint. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Now there's a little debate among scholars and Bible translators there because the words to be aren't actually there in the Greek. To be or not to be seems to be the question, right? Not to be is where I land. Those words were added to make the English read just a little bit smoother. But listen to it this way. You are loved by God and called saints. That's what he calls you. You are loved by God and called saints. That's his name for you. Holy ones, that's what it means. By faith in Jesus, you have already been counted as holy. And by faith in Jesus, you always will be. Despite the reality of indwelling sin, And it's still there. We'll get to that eventually in Romans. The Christians in Rome continue to deal with indwelling sin, just like you and me and Paul, you know, continue to deal with indwelling sin. Paul's going to tell them how to view that and how to make war against it. But long before he gets to that, he reminds them, he reminds you, before you've even read the rest of the letter, (laughs) despite your ongoing battle with indwelling sin, despite how defiled you view yourself today, God looks upon you, and because of being clothed in Christ's righteousness, he sees nothing but holy. Christ's holiness. In Christ, you're a saint. And therefore, second half of verse 7, you enjoy grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You do. Grace and peace. Grace from God and with God. Peace from God and with God. All through Jesus. Be encouraged. Be more firmly established in all that the gospel has done for you. You know, Megan and I go to the movies, we always try to get there early. And the reason why is... Not only do we want to not miss the jam-packed opening scene of the Bond movie, you know, we also, we also love the previews and the coming attractions, right? Uh, well, Romans 1, 1 through 7, when, when you view it through the lens of the rest of the letter, it's, it's not just an action-packed opening scene. <laughs> it's a preview. A, a preview of all the best parts of the feature that is to follow. You see, all these themes that we've seen here today, they they all open up like a series of fireworks through the rest of the letter. A beautiful display of what the gospel is all about, what it is for, what it has done and can do. And I can't wait to keep reading it together. Let's pray. Father, would you root us evermore now in your word Thank you, God, for the precious truths here that we've seen this morning. Spirit, would you work deeply in these brothers and sisters and and encourage them and establish them even more in in knowing and trusting, by faith, believing that they belong to Christ Jesus, they are loved by you, they're called to be saints and servants set apart for the work of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.